And this morning, if you're breathing, we all are, uh, you will face something in life, uh, different times in life that are just difficult. Um, There's all different circumstances for why we face trials. Uh, The truth is that sometimes the trial is because of my bad decisions. Um, And I want to talk about that, but um, also the trials in life because things just happen. It wasn't justified. It shouldn't have happened that way, and yet it did. And we've got to sometimes come to grips with all of that when we face different struggles in life and face different things in life. Um, so this morning, I want, I want to talk about the things that um, Jesus never said about our struggle. We can assume some things sometimes, but I want to talk about the things he never said about our struggles that I, maybe we don't assume them so much as we don't speak them out, but we sometimes can... Um, infer it or think it in our life and how, oh, this is happening because of this. You know what I'm saying? So I want to just talk to you about that. I remember uh, very vividly in 2004, I had the privilege of going to Vanuatu for a short-term missions trip with a couple um, guys from the church, there was three of us, and uh, I, we, we flew into the island of Santo. Uh, some of you will be uh, aware of the islands of Vanuatu, beautiful place, and um, our aim was to jump in a boat and go from this point at the bottom of the island right around the side. It's the biggest island or one of the biggest islands, if not the biggest island. It is the biggest island, I think. And go from the bottom of the island right around nearly to the top to a village where we were going to minister. We were going to support people, encourage people. We had some musical instruments we wanted to give them, or one musical instrument, a keyboard, to their church. And, and they'd... they'd um, uh, invited me to preach there, and we're going to do that, and we're going to just be a blessing. And so one late afternoon, we took off in this boat, and we went from down the bottom. It took about 12 hours, and uh, for 10 hours of that, 10 hours, what are you laughing at? You know what I'm going to say. For 10 hours of that, I was, this, I was seasick, and I've never been so seasick in all my life. I've had little bouts of it, but I've never been so seasick. In actual fact, it was a terrible seasickness because I didn't have anything in my stomach. And so it was a nauseous. I couldn't vomit, but my stomach literally ached and pained for 10 hours. 10 hours in this boat, like a cork in the sea, in a bathtub, just going around. And, um, and I, can, I can remember thinking to myself, God, I'm on your business. I'm doing your will, and you still put me through this, you know, as if God had done it. <laughs> I know he didn't do it. I know that he didn't bring that, but the opportunity uh, obviously rose up and I went on this boat. It was my choice to go. And I suppose in the midst of that, my, from my departure point to my arrival, I was, I was in this incredible struggle, not just physically, but emotionally. God, why has this happened? I'm not enjoying this. The truth is when we got to the village... We presented the instrument, we preached, we saw wonderful things happen, we encouraged the people, they were overjoyed, we had a brilliant time, had a great time, and um, it was just exciting. And then we sailed back from the top of the island, around the other side, within about four days we came back around again, and I didn't get seasick once, and I'm thinking, what's the difference, God? And I don't know what the difference was, maybe because it was pretty easy sailing on that side of the island. The truth was that the wind, the prevailing wind wasn't as bad. But, you know, we go, we have this point where we're taking off in life, this departure point, and we think, 
And we've got these thoughts of how it's all going to unfold. And when it doesn't unfold that way, and there's a struggle, and there's a trial, and there's a test, um, I can start to assume some things. And I think, and I've got to stop myself sometimes about what I think God's doing or, in, or what's happening in my life. And here are some of the things I want to talk to you about this morning. Let's things that Jesus never said, okay? Jesus Christ never said these things about our struggle this morning. And in actual fact, um, the interesting thing about Jesus is when he was here on the earth, here are some of the things he did say. He said in Matthew 9 too, he says, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. That's always a good day. Jesus was always talking about um, being of good cheer. He was always talking about being thankful, wasn't he? He says in Matthew 9, 22, he says, Be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Obviously talking about someone who had been sick. Uh, the previous one about your sins are forgiven you is about someone who needed to you know, be forgiven of what they've done wrong. So Jesus says, be of good cheer. Interesting, in Matthew 14, he says, be of good cheer. I'm here, I'm here too. Don't be afraid. So all of these times when Jesus proclaims or says, be of good cheer or be thankful, he's not talking about being thankful for the good day, is he? He's been talk, talking about being thankful for, in the midst of what is probably a bad day. Uh, it turned out to be a good day because you've been made well. Uh, your sins are forgiven. Uh, you don't have to be afraid. But before that day, there were some struggles we had. Jesus is always referring to uh, the realities uh, when he says of good cheer is that we're probably going through, passing through at the start of or maybe coming out of some type of test or struggle or trial in life. Um, so I want to just talk about that because God had a plan, thankfully, with our, for our struggles and you could sum it in two words, Jesus Christ. He was the answer for our lives. And the reality, over the lifetime of Jesus, he gave us the antidote for trials. The antidote. You know what that is? It's the, it's the thing that makes it all better. <laughs> he gave us the antidote for trials. And the truth is, it was his truth, his example of his life, and how he faced his struggles. And then ultimately, it was his presence uh, that he says things like he'll give us peace beyond understanding that is incredibly powerful in our lives. So let me talk about it this morning. These are things that we, we've got this little um, uh, uh, string of sermons about what we shouldn't assume. And this is, don't assume Jesus said this. Jesus never said, don't bother with me till you have a problem. <laughs> Think about that. Don't ever, Jesus never said that. He says, oh, well, no, 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 no. Don't bother with me. I'm okay. I'll sit in the back seat of the car. You continue to drive your own life around. And when you need me, just call out. I'll be there. He never said that. He always wanted to be in the front seat. In actual fact, he always wanted to be behind the steering wheel of our lives. He always wants to be there. Now, is that because uh, we can't drive our own cars? No, no, no. You're going to make decisions every day for your own life. It's just that we don't, we don't uh, embrace him in our lives. You know, when I was 13, I committed my life to Christ. Uh, I knelt on a sand dune out in the islands of Island Curtis Island, and my cousin led me to Jesus. And I prayed a prayer basically this way, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I've sinned, you never have, I accept what Jesus has done for me, I'm excited, and I became a Christian. That was basically the prayer. But from that point, I remember that I, I kind of didn't know that actual fact you could pray to God every day. I didn't realize that, that you could actually have a relationship with him every day. And he wants, to, he, he wants 
uh, to sit in the front seat. He wants to drive your life. He wants to direct your life. He wants to guide your life. And so I kind of, for several months, kind of left Jesus. Well, I made a commitment. I'm good. I'm going to heaven now. That was, I think God was very gracious with me because I was a new Christian. But then as I interacted with my cousin more, and when he, he kind of lived in another town. He lived in Gympie, and I went there for holidays again. And, and when we started to spend more time, he says, do you know you can talk to God every day? I said, really? He says, you know how you pray that prayer? I said, yeah. He says, you can do that. You can talk to God. And so I explored this whole understanding that God wants a relationship with us, and he wants his presence to be in our lives every hour, every day of our lives. The Word of God says pray continually. Woo-hoo. How do you do that? Well, I think it's being continually aware that it's just not you and your ego and your ways that need to direct your life. You need to be aware of what God's presence wants to do in your life as well. Every, every minute, every second of every day. It's not like we can, we're praying all the time, but it's being conscious and being aware of your life and his directions in our lives. So my theology about God was God, that was, God, is, God is just a backseat kind of person and I'm the front seat and when I need him I pull him out and he can drive when it's in a difficult spot when it's a mountainous terrain when it's going a bit difficult you know when there's a a cliff edge to negotiate I'll put Jesus there because he can drive better than me but we're going to have him there all the time now here's the point people can think that just uh, get on with life and never worry about Jesus and and we'll and uh, until you have a problem but Jesus what Jesus actually did say it's found in Mark chapter 8, 36 and 37. He said, What will it profit a man or a woman, for that matter, if he gains the whole world or she gains the whole world and loses their own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for, a woman give in exchange for their soul? That's a good question, isn't it? So Jesus is talking here to be successful people that have it all and don't really need him at the moment because they've got everything else is a dangerous place to be. Okay, believing in Jesus, but just seeing him as an insurance policy for the difficult times isn't, is, 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 isn't wrong in having Jesus as your insurance policy, but it's just wrong to continue to neglect him and think, I'll just pull him out when I really do need him. Here's the danger. If you treat Jesus just as someone you pull out when you get into trouble, you may find that you never need him. Because you discover how to continually just deal with the problems yourself, which is good, but you never involve in those issues. You never get his support. And thus life generally has a tendency sometimes in our own understanding to have a spiral downwards direction. See, the tragedy of not involving him is that you may gain the whole world only to find at the end of it all that you have material abundance but spiritual bankruptcy. That would be a sad place. And then eternally lost. That would be even sadder, wouldn't it? Because when we have no problems, we can be tempted to think, I don't need to ask God about anything because I'm actually doing pretty good, thank you. So that's the dangerous place to be. That's the dangerous place. Jesus says the most important thing is your soul And we need the Lord, not just to help us in our trouble, but for a direction for our lives. Because you know what? The wonderful thing about God is he's got purpose and direction for you. And when we're not kind of plugged into the source, that's him, we just wander off in our own ways. And then we wonder sometimes why life gets such a struggle. 
And we sometimes maintain our lives in the midst of the struggle, but I want to tell you there's a much better way. Jesus actually said, I didn't come to give you struggles, I came to give you abundant life. The world will give you problems. You know, he says, uh, what's that verse say uh, in the scriptures? And we're going to read it later. He says, in the world you'll have what? Trouble. Uh, John 16, 33. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So too, hey. So Jesus never said, don't bother with me until you have a problem. Here's another thing that Jesus never asked us to assume. Jesus never said, follow me and you won't have any problems. Okay? Someone said to me, well, come to Jesus and you'll never have any problems. I thought, come to Jesus and you'll start to get some problems. (laughs) We live in a fallen world, don't we? Uh, and it can, uh, don't be astonished when trouble comes your way. Uh, somehow, uh, people can think that Jesus has promised them everything and there will never be any issues in life. Unfortunately, that won't be the case. Uh, Jesus did say, and I'll read the verse again when I quoted just then, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. He's talking, Jesus is talking his words here, each to your own home and you'll leave me all alone and yet I'm not alone for my father is with me. And then this wonderful verse I just quoted before, I've told you these things so that in, my, in me you may have what? Peace. In Jesus Christ you can have peace. Um, in this world you won't have trouble. Don't get that the wrong way around. Sometimes, well I'm going to find peace in this world. I don't know if the world will ever give you true peace. Uh, you know, you may gain a lot of stuff, you may gain a lot of attributes, you may gain a lot of ability, you may gain a lot of accolades, but in the end, it's pretty shallow. It's like sand through your hands. There's no person on their deathbed that I've spoken to and I've seen die. Some people die that have said, I just didn't have enough of stuff. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of people said, uh, you know, I just maybe should have thought about who I spent time with and who I gave time to. And, and thankfully, God is, a, he is, a, he is the 11th hour merciful God, isn't he? And people come to Christ even on their deathbed. Praise God. How great is that? But the reality is they could have had such a better life if they'd given God the opportunity way back here when they were just young and let him direct their lives right through. So... When we come to Jesus, we're going to have some, there's going to be some, well, in this world, in the world, there's trouble. Uh, it won't be all smooth sailing. Um, we can say, you know, we have some struggles in life and, you know, you're a lot of good people. And why would, why do bad things happen to good people? And I think Jesus would say, why, do, why don't good people happen to bad things? That's the difference, isn't it? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why don't you turn it around and say, I'm a good person. As a good person, I'm going to happen to bad things. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to, this bad thing, it might be a bad thing, but I'm going to make it happen not as, as, it should, as it thinks it will, but I'm going to change that as you decide within your heart. Um, there's a great story of a pastor's wife in Ipswich contracted a terrible sickness, cancer. It wasn't sickness really, it was cancer. I suppose cancer is a sickness, but the church prayed defiantly and, and uh, believed God. And uh, they prayed and fasted and they committed and they supported the husband. He was an associate pastor at the Ipswich Church. Pastor John Hunt is now the senior pastor of that church. He wasn't at the time. Um, He was just a young man in that church. But um, unfortunately, the pastor's wife passed away of cancer. This is like, I'm talking several, many decades, 30, 40 decades ago, three or four decades ago. Um, and, um, and And then the pastor, several months after his wife passed away, got up 
and uh, he preached on thankfulness. And there was a young man in, the, in that church who'd been there. Uh, his name was Wayne Alcorn. And uh, Wayne is the president of the Australian Christian Churches, our movement in Australia today. And, um, and so the reason I know this story is because he told us the story. And um, so he was, uh, this pastor's preaching on thankfulness. His wife has just died several months ago. And they'd prayed diligently, yet she'd still died. And yet he went up to the pastor, he was just a young man, and he said to this pastor after he preached this great message on thankfulness, how can you, respectfully he did it, how can you preach a message on thankfulness when your wife has died? And the pastor said, I haven't got the testimony of a, of a miraculous healing for my wife, but what I have the testimony of is a victorious heart and attitude in the midst of my struggle. He said, you know what, I'm thankful anyway. I'm thankful that I had the years I had with my wife. I'm thankful that through this, people can even see Jesus in me and see that I am not all totally destroyed. I am hurting and I'm grieving. But in the midst of it, you know what? If I was to have anything less than what God's best for me, I wouldn't have this testimony of peace and joy in my heart, even though I've lost one of the most precious people in my life. He says, the greatest testimony I have now is that I am not defeated, but I am victorious. I lost a wife, but I didn't lose my life, and I didn't lose my heart and love for God. And I think that time sometimes speaks of incredible strength to the world around us. See, um, just because my wife passed away doesn't mean I'm defeated. Just because you, get your, you don't get your answer doesn't mean you need to be defeated. Amen. Now, I'm not saying we don't believe for the best. Oh, come on, let's believe for the best. Let's believe for wholeness, health, healing, restoration for people and lives. I'm, I'm believing. I'm just saying that sometimes I, I believe in the reality of it, that God's got this bigger plan. And, you know, ultimately the greatest victory you can have is to trust him in it. Because I think he wants us to trust him, trust him even more than I trust him for the answers. To trust him. Because his plan is bigger. That takes a mighty big effort sometimes. Mighty big effort. Um, Jesus never said that bad things would happen to good people, but Jesus said good people will happen to bad things. And uh, we put our faith in him no matter what the circumstances. And our reaction of peace can be an incredible testimony of his grace and his ability and his working in our lives, um, which I think is powerful. Very powerful. Um, in the world, you'll have trouble. He says, in me, you'll have peace. Isn't that good? In me, you can have peace in the midst of that. Thirdly, something else Jesus... Um, don't assume that Jesus said. Um, Jesus never said that bad things are a sign that I've left you. He never said that. I've thought it. On that, boat, on that boat, I thought, God, I'm doing your will. You know, why couldn't you just stop the waves for a moment, settle my stomach? We'd all have a good day, I'd get a night's sleep, you know. But I tell you what, when we got to the village the next day and we saw the things that transpired and the encouragement they received, it seemed to be like it was all worth it. And I thought, you know, uh, sometimes there's just so much victory because you've come through the difficulty. I don't know how that works, but it works, doesn't it? You stuck at it. I didn't jump overboard. <laughs> I didn't get upset with the people in the boat. I just grinned and bared it when they said, How you going? I thought, No good, but it's okay. 
you know, and that'd be a victory to the enemy. But when we got there, I tell you what, it made the victory all much better because I threw it back in the devil's face and say, whoa, look what's happening here. This is good. These people, uh, God's touching and ministering to. It just seems to make it better, doesn't it? So Jesus never said that, uh, that, that uh, bad things is a sign that I've left you. Praise God. Um, you're well aware of Matthew 28, 20. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. I'm always with you. Um, if, if, you know, if there's something unfolding right now in your life, it, it's not a sign that God is not with you. Okay, please understand that. It's not a sign that he doesn't care. Uh, you know, it's not a sign that he, you know, he's, 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 well, you know, you look after yourself. No, no. This is an opportunity, actually, to know his incredible grace and support and mercy in these times. There's a verse in Scripture um, where God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 31, 6. And he said, be, of strong, be strong and of good courage. The same words he spoke to Joshua later on, but he spoke them first to Moses. He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of the enemy, which was a physical enemy. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Over three, about 3,000 years ago, God spoke to Moses those words. And you know what? They haven't changed. <laughs> He still says the same thing today. He cares for you. He's wanting to be there for you. Um, it, it, only if we would sometimes realize and reach out to him. It's amazing. Um, he says that um, uh, as we take a step towards him, he takes several towards us. Um, it's a great... God's promise to Moses was in the midst of him facing some formidable enemies... You know, a whole bunch of people who weren't believers in God, they were heathens and they were um, threats against Moses and the, and the children of Israel. And God's promise was he'd go with us. He wouldn't leave them, even in the worst situations. Um, here is an interesting thing about this verse. You could ask the question, why doesn't God say to Israel, don't fear, I'll just take you out of the circumstances and you won't have to face the enemy. Wouldn't that be better? I mean... I've often thought that. God, if you just take me out of this problem, if you take me out of this situation, God, if you just take me out of this circumstance, God, if you just take me out of this church. <laughs> go and join another church and then face the problems all over again because um, you've got to go around the mountain. <laughs> if you just take me out of this family, <laughs> if you just take me out of this workplace, if you just take, God, just take me out of it and we won't have the problem. But it's interesting, God doesn't do that with the children of Israel and Moses. He lets them go through. He takes them through the desert. He puts them on this side of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming, bearing down on them and the possible everyone's going to get slaughtered. But God takes them then through the Red Sea. That's amazing. He takes them through that. He, he doesn't take them out of it. He takes them. He's there with them. And I think that, you know, sometimes I think in my little brain, I've sometimes got to realize that, you know, God wants, I go through it, even though I want to be out of it. And yet God says there's something in it that I'll actually teach you through the midst of it. And if I'm just open enough to learn uh, and listen, God will show me what it is. Daniel went into the lion's den. Did you notice that? And amazingly, the angel shut the mouths of the lions. Why couldn't God just kind of say, Daniel, you don't have to go in the lion's den? No, he put him through it. 
Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went through the fiery furnace and they came out unscorched. Amazingly, no fire was smelt on them, the word of God said. The only interesting thing is they went shackled in, but they came out unshackled. I mean, I know scripture doesn't, it's it's interesting. I think the only thing that really burns off you in the fiery furnaces of life is the stuff you don't need anyway. (laughs) I'm still asking God why I got sick on that trip in Vanuatu. I'm sure there's... I'm sure there's something he had to deal with. Maybe it was my ego. That's often a problem. Has anybody got those problems? No, just me, right home. <laughs> so what was, it? what was this point? Oh, Jesus never said that, you know, these are signs that I've left you. Praise God, he doesn't leave us, but he takes us through stuff. I... Sometimes I wish it wasn't the case, but anyway. Here's another really good one. Jesus never said, don't assume this, Jesus never said that bad things happen. When bad things happen, have extreme views. Let me explain. One view that we have when bad things happen is self-condemning, which says, it's all my fault, and, uh, and all we do is beat ourselves up. Self-condemnation is never the way to go, Okay. Uh, it never allows us to view our faults clearly and thoughtfully, okay? It never allows us. So self-condemnation always exaggerates that you're just such a bad person. Always exaggerates. Uh, while we are not perfect, maybe you're, you're not as bad as self-condemnation wants to make out. Um, so self-condemnation isn't nice because it's hard to receive forgiveness, isn't it? It actually becomes hard to give forgiveness sometimes because you're struggling and you're feeling this bad and you don't want to face this pity party all on your own, so you struggle to face, forgive other people when sometimes you just got to forgive yourself uh, and then you can forgive others so much easier. That's what self-condemnation does. Sometimes we're feeling so bad we have to make others feel the same way. The second view, if you've got self-condemnation on this side of the scale, the second view is self-denial. Never giving any thought that just maybe, just maybe the cause or part cause or just a little bit of the cause in the situation was because of something that was happening in your life or something you did. And the balanced view is to do a little self-examination with every struggle you face, own what you have to own, Forgive yourself, receive forgiveness, repent, move on in victory and say, I made a mistake. But hey, we're going to do better today. Um, don't disregard the issue. Don't, don't fall into self-condemnation. Walk the balanced road of understanding. Know that God loves you. You need to love yourself. Uh, it helps us to walk humbly, not arrogantly. It helps us to destroy that ego thing in our lives. And it helps us to just do it, you know, go through life with an honest evaluation. Honesty in life helps us to learn from our mistakes and walk in strength. I mean, why would you, why would you waste a good situation which you can learn from if you're always saying, well, it's never my fault? But why would you waste it by saying, it's always my fault? It's learning, isn't it? I remember at the age of 18, I was on my learners and I had a car accident in my sister's car. She's not here today. Where's Pete? I thought of Pete. Oh, she, Susie's probably preparing or doing stuff. Anyway, I had a car accident in my sister's car. I was on my learners. She was incredibly gracious. I think she forgave me. We've never talked about it. 
just better make a note of that. Just talk to her about whether... Anyway, thankfully, I just, I just hit the back end of a guy. I, I ran through a, a, a crossing. I had no lights on it at the time in Gladstone. I just you know, didn't give way, and this guy was coming the other direction. Thankfully, I just snipped him on the back end of his car. Both cars were able to be driven away, but you know, there was still a couple thousand dollars worth of damage. It doesn't take much, even back when I was 18. So... Um, I, uh, I went into self-condemnation a pretty massive way over that one for about two days. I just thought, you know, I'm not worthy to be driving and all those type of stuff. And I thought, wow, how, what an idiot I am. And I just really laid it on thick. And sometimes we lay it on thick because we like to make ourselves feel better. Because if I can make myself feel really bad, then I kind of, um, in, a, in a strange way, I can make myself feel like um, better and that's what people will think of me and that's what I need to think of myself and it really doesn't work. So after I had that self-condemnation thing, I do, what happened at the accident is um, uh, the guy who I, cut, I went through the intersection should have given way, he went across in front of me. When we got out of our cars, he actually had been drinking. <laughs> Okay, so he was a little mildly drunk, and when we said, oh, let's get the police, he says, no, 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 don't do that. I'm happy. Let's just sort it out. We're both happy here. Uh, you, your insurance paid for my car, you know, blah, 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 we'll be right. Let's not get the police involved in this, because he knew a breathalyzer. And so then I went from self-condemnation to a bit of self-denial. Well, it was all his fault, because he was drunk. <laughs> well, he wasn't that drunk, I don't know how drunk he was, but you know, you, the devil will take you to both extremes, folks, and they don't do you any good. Self-condemnation, self-denial, it's a good thing to have an understanding of who you are and what you are and how much God loves you. The truth is, no matter what you do wrong in the mistakes, nothing's unredeemable. God will still can embrace you and love you and forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? So that's what we've got to do. There's a, <clears throat> a verse, there's a story in the Bible that is pretty powerful in John chapter 8. There's Jesus is there and these Pharisees bring this woman caught in adultery. She was actually caught in the act of adultery, committing sexual act with a married person. Um, and so they bring her and they throw her before Jesus. And Jesus comes up with this statement. He says in verse 7 of John 8, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And of course, we know, <clears throat> interesting, when you think about it, what Jesus was really saying there, he was saying, you religious leaders, your condemnation of her is not warranted because you have ill intent of this woman, this is my words, this is not what the Bible says, who is doing the wrong thing. This woman is doing the wrong thing, but you've got ill intent on her life. You have no desire to restore her, but you have every desire to ultimately use her as a pawn to get at me. <laughs> and if she gets killed in the, in the meantime, that's not a big issue for you. You have no grace and no mercy. And if, you have never, and if you've never sinned, go ahead, throw the first stone. Can you see the extreme, what extreme condemnation does? It doesn't warrant restoration in life. It wants to take life from us and stone us to death. That's what self-condemnation does. It wants to stone us to death, condemning ourselves. It doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring a hope. Jesus' response after the um, Pharisees had left, and they all realized that they had sinned, and after they left, we know the response in 10 to 11. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And of course, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin, no what? More. 
Go and sin no more. Now we see Jesus deals with her sin. And he shows her mercy and not condemnation. He doesn't excuse her sin. He directs her to life by saying, leave the lifestyle of sin. It will kill you like those stones would have killed you. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, neither do I, uh, I want you dead. But uh, go and sin no more. In other words, stop it. Don't do it anymore because it wants to stone. Because just as much as self-condemnation will stone you to death, you'll stone yourself. Um, denial will ultimately mean death as well. If you never acknowledge your sin, it'll mean death as well. You'll, it'll destroy you. Adulterous prostitute lifestyle is going to destroy you. I, I, I love you enough to say, come out of that. And I love you to, enough to say, stop condemning yourself. So Jesus never said when troubles happen, go to extremes in your thinking. The last thing, and we'll finish with this, Jesus said, don't assume Jesus said this. Jesus never said there is no hope. Jesus always said there's hope. There's always hope. Someone said there are no hopeless situations, just hopeless people. Isn't it true? Situations can seem hopeless, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get that hopelessness, allow it to be on you. Okay? And in Matthew 9, 24... We see Jesus goes into a, um, he's called to a room. There's a young lady or young girl, she's, she had died. And all these people are in there mourning and wailing and, and uh, grieving over her death. And he goes in there and he says these interesting words in verse 24 of Matthew 9. Make room, make room. This girl is not dead, she's sleeping. And you know what they did? They laughed at him. They ridiculed Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? Can you please get out of the room? He got rid of the negativity, he got rid of the doubt, and then he dealt with the girl and she was risen from the dead as he prayed for her. Amazing. Here's the point. Jesus might say to you today, you've got to make room for God to work as you allow and as you, as you pray and commit your issues and problems to him because the reality is, is he wants to give you a hope in the midst of the hopeless situation. Give you a hope. So what you think is dead, maybe it's just, um, uh, it's just asleep. It's just asleep. And I know the young lady was literally dead, but Jesus said she's just sleeping. In other words, he was speaking. If the people in that room had listened to Christ and, and what he was prophetically saying, they could have, hey, yeah, we believe you, Jesus. We're going to join with you. We're going to believe she's just, she's just sleeping. Um, you know, and so we literally, we, we believe, Jesus was saying, she's going to get up out of this. And sometimes we just need to hear what Jesus is saying. It's not dead, it's just sleeping. And we've we got to join with him and agree with him. Don't let him put you out. You don't need to be put out of the room. You need to stay in the room with Jesus and, and witness the miracle. By, and don't be put out of the room with your hopeless attitude, but have a hope. Because he never said, I'll, I'll never, he'll always give you hope. He'll always give you hope in the midst of it. Romans 5, 15, 13 says, And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you because you're the hope giver and we're hopefully the hope receivers today about every circumstance, about every situation. It says, come on, I want to fill you with all joy and peace in believing, not in doubting, in believing. Believing in him, believing in truth, believing in his ways. That you may abound with what? In hope. By who? Your own power? Your own ability? No, by the power of his presence in you. Come on. I, uh, 
I love the story of Dave Riva. 1996, I met Dave Riva. Some of you know his story, some don't, but let me share it quickly with you. I've shared it a long time ago, but I want to believe it's a powerful story of hope. Dave Riva was a um, Christian man, lived in America, and as a young man of 22, he felt very strongly that uh, he should enlist in the American army and he should give his time and effort um, to serve his country. Americans are very patriotic, so are Australians, but there was a real patriotic push in those days. And it happened to be the Vietnam War was happening. So Dave Reaver enlisted. He wasn't quite sure where he was going to end up, but he ended up in Vietnam um, on these boats that used to travel up and down the, 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 the uh, river inlets of Vietnam searching for the enemy, the Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, as they used to call them. And so Dave Reaver is uh, on one of these boats this day. He's standing on the bow of these little boats. They're probably only about six meters long, and they used to zoom up and down the rivers looking for the enemy. They had, you know, placed on the front of the bow, you know, a massive kind of machine gun, automatic machine gun. And, and what they used to have is phosphorus hand grenades. Phosphorus hand grenade is a, a thing that you pull the pin on and you throw it, and when it hits the undergrowth, it just burns up all the undergrowth straight away. It just explodes and burns. So what it was doing, the idea is you burn up all the undergrowth so the enemy can't hide from you on the bank of the river. And so Dave Reaver thought there was some, the enemy was in a certain part of the uh, terrain. And so he had a phosphorus hand grenade in his right hand ready to throw it. And a sniper bullet pierced his hand, went through the hand grenade and the hand grenade blew up at the side of his head. It automatically removed about... 50% of the skin from his head and his right side of his body. Just, you can appreciate that there'd be a bit of pain involved in that. He lost his ear. I met him in 1996 at a conference, a youth conference in the Gold Coast. And um, he has a plastic ear and he plays piano. And he makes this incredible joke. He says, I play by ear and he takes his ear off and goes whack, whack, whack. He's got, a, he's got a great sense of humor for a guy that looks like far out. He doesn't look good. <laughs> he actually, in America, he goes from high school to high school ministering. And you can appreciate the scars on his face. They're horrific. But to save, sometimes, he's, not all the time, but he would, he would just hire a little plane to fly between high schools because to do it on domestic flights... He would have half the, half the kids in the airplane looking at him all the time. And he just go, he says, oh, you know, you know, and if he said boo, he would have scared them. <laughs> you know, he just, on his right hand, he's only got half his fingers because that's where they're blowing off. So when he plays guitar, he plays it upside down. No, no, sorry, he plays it the other way with his little stumps. Incredible. Anyway, Dave Reaver, as soon as the hand grenade and he lost all this flesh off his body, he jumps in the water and, and the phosphorus had gone impregnated his body. He's burning literally underwater. They finally got him out. They got him to a hospital, a field hospital. And when they started to operate on him, they opened him up a little bit. He burst into flames on the operating table because the phosphorus inside him finally got some oxygen to ignite. It was a horrific situation. Horrific. I got a book at home and there's a picture of him on the front and they've embossed his face on there and you can he says he says you can feel my scars on the front of his book 
but it's horrific. Oh, anybody wants to read it, ask me, I can give it to you. So um, he's now finally, um, several weeks later, he's in a hospital in Japan, and he's in a burns ward with four other um, American soldiers who have all got horrific burns to their bodies and face. And he says that um, there was a guy beside him, and his wife came in uh, and looked at his, her husband, in actual fact, had to read the names on the end of the bed because she didn't know which was her husband. So comes to her husband and reads the name, and <laughs> she took a wedding ring off, and she dropped it on the bed, and she said, I'm sorry, I can't live with you, and walked out. That man died. So now Dave Reaver is wondering what his wife is going to do. His wife turns up on a particular day. She too is reading the signs on the end of the bed to find out which is her husband. She finds Dave and she walks up to him beside his bed. She didn't take a wedding ring off. She didn't um, reject him. But she leaned down and she kissed his charred lips and said, Welcome home, Davey. And she embraced him. He's been married ever since. He's had a committed relationship. And he is the one who lived in that Burns ward. While the guy beside him had no hope, he didn't, wasn't given any hope. I think the guy beside him didn't die of injuries. Dave said, I think the guy beside me died because he had no hope for his future. I want to tell you, while we don't rely on people to give us hope, we rely on our God, but he's a God of hope. And I'm not quite sure what your circumstance or situation is today. You feel like it's, it's rough, and I appreciate that it can get extremely bad. But I want to tell you, don't give up because there's a God of hope. Isn't there? There's a God of your future. He's a God that is intimately interested in you. Can we stand this morning as we close? There's a God that loves and cares for you. Father, I just thank you for every person today that's here. Jesus, there's some things you never said that sometimes I've assumed them a little bit, or maybe not so much assumed as just allowed those thoughts to creep into my head when I shouldn't have. And I thank you that you are the God of hope. I thank you that you're God that never leaves us. I thank you that you're a God that doesn't want to take us to extremes in our emotions. But... And Father, that you're a God that cares today. And for every single person here who's facing that struggle, that situation, that circumstance... I ask that your Holy Spirit and presence would minister your incredible um, peace and joy and love today to them. Father, we're not a people that are devoid of emotion. We have emotion and we face things and we feel yuck and we feel bad. And we feel like all hell is broken loose. But today we ask for your strength and your courage, Lord, to walk in you and your ways in the midst of what we face. Because God, like the Red Sea, you're going to bring us through. Maybe like the young lady who died, you want to, we've got to make room for you this morning for you to do your miraculous work. So Father, we ask for that and we reach out to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here and your hand would be upon lives and hearts of people today as we contemplate this truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed this morning says, Amen. Let me ask you one more question today, and we'll close with this song, beautiful song. 
if you've never responded to the Lord Jesus Christ before, you've never actually said yes. Maybe you've kind of been a believer, but kind of secret, or you've always just, you know, kind of believed. But, you know, today there's an opportunity to say yes for maybe the very first time. Because it says in the Word that we need to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead for us to be forgiven of sin. And if you want to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin and I want to come to you, I turn away from that sin, I want to put you first and I want to live for you. Today, I just want you to raise your hand while we close our eyes this morning. Raise your hand, I'll see your hand, you can put it down. Just, I'm just giving you a few moments, please. If you're here and you know that needs to happen, just give us an indication. Give us a wave and I'll ask you to put your hand down. Anybody this morning here in this place? One more opportunity. God draws us. He loves us. Thank you. I see that hand. I'm sorry, was there anybody else this morning? I won't. He loves us. He draws us by his presence. He says, come on. It's fantastic. For the sake of one, can we pray a prayer? Is that cool, church? Please make this your own prayer, my dear brother who lifted his hand this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. And I thank you that you receive me. And that you love me. That you always have. I today turn from my past and I look into my future which is in your hands. I receive you as my Lord. That means ruler of my life and my Savior. Save from hell, save from a life of destruction to live for you in Jesus' name. I now receive you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Every person is precious to you. And my dear brother, I ask your touch and encouragement upon his life. In Jesus' name. We commit ourselves to you this day. Amen. Come on, let's just for a moment rejoice and sing and exalt God as we sing this song before we close.